0: Welcome, guys, and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to help teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. The mission of Man Talks is to help develop self aware, high performing, and impactful men in the world, the type of men you want to be, and the type of men you want to be around. Just a quick reminder to all the guys out there who are tuning in today to head on over to facebook.com forward slash talks dash community and join the conversation. We've got a great community of men from all over the world who are a part of that conversation. We talk about finances, fitness, how to be your best self. Uh, We talk about relationships. We talk about entrepreneurship. You name it. We dive into it. So joining me today is Mr. Jason Gaddis, who's a friend of mine. He's had me on his podcast before. Uh, and he is a not a relationship expert because I I hate using that word, but he really is knowledgeable uh, around relationships, around the neuroscience of relationships, and so we're going to talk about a few things around around relationships. So first and foremost, we're going to talk about conflict today. Uh, we're going to talk about how to face conflict. We're going to talk about how to resolve conflict. We're going to talk about how to uh, transform conflict into intimacy. So how to, you know, why it's so important to actually address conflict in our relationships and why this is one of the most single important factors in a healthy relationship. So conflict is often the piece that uh, is going to either destroy our relationships or it's the one that's going to be able to help us have strong healthy relationships. So that's what we're going to dive into today. Uh, So Jason Gaddis he's a relationship student and teacher and the host of the Smart Couple podcast. Uh, And he's on a mission to teach people the one class they didn't get in school, how to do romantic relationships. That's why he founded the Relationship School. He was emotionally constipated for years, which I love, and I think that you know some people can uh, can relate to that. But he was emotionally constipated for years before relationship failures forced him to turn his life over to learning about relationship. Now he's been married to his amazing wife since 2007 and has two beautiful kids. When he doesn't live and breathe this stuff with his family, he is... Pretty much getting his ass handed to him by life lessons. So he teaches individuals basically how to use conflict to create a more fulfilling and sustainable relationship. He teaches virtual relationship empowerment classes to students around the globe. And more importantly, he teaches that hidden within any and all relationship pain are the seeds of you getting more empowered in your life and more connected to yourself. So that's what we're going to dive into today. Please stick with us. If you have any questions, uh, do let us know. Feel free to email me at info at mantox.ca, or you can hit me up on the Facebook page, which is Mantox, or on the Instagram account at Mantox. I would love to hear what your thoughts were on this uh, on this particular recording as we dive deep into intimate conflict. So without any other uh, reservation. Without any other ado, I would like to bring on Mr. Jason
1: Gaddis. Yeah, man, you got it, Connor. So like to be here.
0: Yeah, likewise, likewise. I'm after uh, after I joined you on on your podcast, which we'll talk about a little bit later. i was stoked to have you on because I know that you know a lot of our listeners love to dive into relationships and you know how to be better husbands how to be better fathers or better partners in general. And so I'm excited for this conversation because you, you have a wealth of knowledge on this. So uh, let's, let's just start with how we usually start, which is tell us, tell me and, and our listeners a defining moment that has made you who you are today.
1: Okay. Yeah, I got several, but I'll zero in on one here since we're talking about relationships. Um, I was 29 and I was ending another relationship. Um, because I was making the woman wrong. She's not this enough. She's not that enough. And, um, we we're in a parking lot in, uh, front of whole foods. And I somehow started to kind of awaken in that moment to how painful this was. I'd been trying to soften the blow for months of trying to get out of the relationship, but basically trying to get her to do it. Cause I was too much of a coward to break up with her. This is kind of always my strategy. And eventually I was like, okay, I got to say something because it's been months And I broke up with her and then um, somewhere in there in the conversation of her receiving that and me speaking it, I realized that I was, I was the one common denominator in all these past failed relationships that I'd had. And there were about seven. And I, I just suddenly saw it. I, I was so convinced it was them every single time, all seven of these other prior relationships. And in that moment, for some reason I was like, huh? Like, this has happened so many times. It felt so familiar. And I was like, I, I think I'm the one factor here that's hasn't changed. And, and then I realized that and I was like, well, if it's true that I'm, I'm maybe the issue, I can do something about that. And it was a really big moment of empowerment because I realized I'm the potential source of this pattern and this problem. And I committed on the spot uh, to doing something about it. And then, from there, I enrolled in graduate school, moved states, knowing no one to study psychology and to study myself and to study relationships.
0: It's beautiful, man. I think that a lot of guys out there and women, obviously, that are, that are tuning into this can definitely relate with that because, you know, so many of us don't want to be the cause of pain in other people's lives. And so we avoid, yeah. you know, like we avoid it. So can you shed some insight into why that happens? Because I think that a lot of men. Yeah, I hear a lot of men communicate that like I didn't want to hurt her. I didn't want to cause pain Uh, And so they actually avoid ending the relationship and sort of drag it out for for a while so can you give me some insight into Why that may have happened on on your side and and maybe how we can prevent that in the future
1: Yeah, totally Well, I, I think the more personal responsibility we can take here The better because then we can again take action so Usually when we dissect that type of interaction, uh, in my case, is I the story is I'm scared to hurt her feelings. But the second question we have to ask is, well, if you hurt her feelings, what are you gonna have to feel? And usually it's some version of discomfort, right? Well, I'm gonna that's gonna make me un really uncomfortable. I'm gonna have to feel ashamed or embarrassed or uh like I'm the bad guy or something like that. And so when we start to examine it, we start to see that I'm protecting myself i'm actually not protecting her from her feelings i'm protecting me from my feelings and then when i start to see that it's like oh shit i'm selfishly protecting myself over here and the story is yeah i don't want to hurt her feelings but i have got my own back here (laughs) so then i can go all right well i'm protecting myself what would happen if i started to learn how to be more okay with discomfort and i could breathe through some shame i could breathe through just that my body feeling anxious uh, that I might hurt someone's feelings. If I could be okay with that, then maybe the direct, respectful, assertive conversation won't be so bad.
0: Yeah. I think, I think that there's some really good stuff in there. I mean, you, you talked into breathing into the shame and the guilt and, and that's usually one of the biggest components that I think comes up for a lot of men is, is not necessarily even like dealing with the conflict in the relationship necessarily but dealing with the conflict within themselves around feeling like they're gonna be a bad guy or you know that it's it's more about oftentimes our, our image of that. So do you have any yeah. suggestions for for people that might be going through that? I, I did this like little mini episode around how to know when to go. And it was actually addressed to both men and women and, and it was you know sort of a, a call to action for for some women to like know when to just let go of a relationship when a guy clearly is not invested in a relationship and just isn't showing up. And, and, uh, you know, sometimes the best thing that we can do is actually let go of that. But do you have yeah. some sort of like tactical information that, that men can practice in those moments in terms of, you know, understanding the shame within them, understanding the guilt that might be going on and maybe how to, how to process that a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's great. I, I mean, we gotta, as you talk about a lot, we got to surround ourselves with good guys that can help us Stay, keep our feet on that hot fire of like learning how to be okay with strong emotion because that's gonna always help you be with your woman's strong emotion. So, um, if I have male friends around me that can be like, dude, you're in your pattern again. You're like making her wrong. Yeah, you're protecting her feelings or whatever, but it's really about you protecting yourself. So I, I think that's like context-wise, it'd be great if we surround ourselves with people like that. So that's a tactical suggestion. And then in the moment, again, like any kind of mindfulness practice where you can be okay with your experience is is going to be huge. Um, another one is, you know, examine your, what you think is a good guy. Like, is it, is it a good guy to keep protecting yourself and at the expense of her dragging this out and wasting more of her life? Um, is that being a good guy or is it a good guy actually someone who's assertive and will look her in the eyes and say, you know what, I'm, I'm done with this relationship. I'm, I'm at my wits end here. I'm, I'm finished. I'm, I can't do more. I'm scared. I'm too scared. I'm too uncomfortable, um, without making them wrong. You know, um, I, I was in the strong habit of examining and making every woman I dated wrong. And that's really seductive too. Well, she's not this, it's not, she's not the one because I'm just not feeling it. And, um, there's some truth to that, but we, we, again, the self-awareness and the self-examination I think is essential. So any tools, therapy, coaching, meditation that will help you examine, yourself are going to be really important here
0: yeah and I mean, I mean you've you've kind of touched on this a few times about this uh concept of constantly making our partners wrong and i feel like this is a this is a pattern that i've fallen into in the past for sure and I, I think that a lot of guys can identify with that can you maybe unpack that a little bit for me maybe maybe just not necessarily like the psychology behind it but but more so why it shows up how that tends to show up and and And, um, and, and maybe how we can start to identify where that's showing up and how to prevent it.
1: Yeah. Cool. So this may confront some of your listeners and and some people, some of you guys out there might get defensive here, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Um, you're, I want you to try it on that you're scared, right? That when you're making someone wrong for the way they look, or you found fault in some way, their financial bracket, the fact that they're not driven, maybe they're depressed, when you're making them wrong it's it's a strong possibility that you're afraid and um you're not examining your fear of intimacy and you've co-created a situation where you get to stay stuck in your level of it, the level of intimacy that you can tolerate right so i'm going to keep you at arm's length by making you wrong and i think it's an interesting experiment to say instead i'm scared and even to look your partner in the eye when you're making her wrong or him wrong and say wow, I'm finding myself judging you right now. And I noticed I have a lot of fear uh, as I say that, and I have a lot of fear driving that. And I'm not sure exactly where it comes from or what it's about, but I just want to start to get in touch with the possibility that I'm afraid. And when I'm afraid, I go into judgment. I go into my head, I leave my heart and I judge and I I pick people apart. So that might be, um, I think, a useful experiment for guys to try on.
0: Yeah, nice. It sounds like some of what you're talking about is really around ownership and and owning your own experience versus trying to pass that experience on to someone else. Is that is that about right?
1: Yeah, that's that's right. And when I was in my 20s and doing this pattern, for example, I was very uncomfortable as soon as the woman needed something, uh, came to me with like a genuine need, like, "Hey, can we have the talk?" or, um, uh. Hey, what's wrong? And she wanted to like get into my world. Cause I was like clearly shut down and triggered and in my funk and she was just being kind and reaching out. Right. Um, I, that was so uncomfortable for me. So I would, instead of saying that, wow, I'm really uncomfortable right now. I would be like, God, she's so needy. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if I could just take, you know, insert a step in there before I say, she's so needy and say, Well, I'm really uncomfortable given her behavior, whatever her behavior is. Um, I'm just uncomfortable over here. And I was so scared of upset. I had this story. This is backing up a little bit. But I had a story that a good relationship meant that you felt good all the time. I wasn't hip to this whole thing of like growing and developing yourself is, is actually uncomfortable. And going to the next level and getting sexier together is like there's pain in there. And there's drama in there. And there's intensity in there. I didn't. I was not clued into that. I was bought in hook, line and sinker to the kind of the fantasy out there that's sold to us sometimes. So I kept expecting a good relationship to be like, you don't need anything. Like, no, you're not going to bring up any uncomfortable shit ever. (laughs) Somehow like, what?
0: Just the avoidance of conflict.
1: Yeah, complete avoidance of conflict. And so that showed up as me making them wrong usually. Instead of me saying, I'm really fucking scared of conflict and upset and disharmony here. I don't have a clue what to do. Hmm.
0: So how do we, how do we lean into conflict a little bit? And, that, and the, the reason why I say that is because, you know, conflict is a natural part of, of really healthy, intimate relationships. So we, we need to acknowledge that. And, and I think a lot of us know that there are parts of our relationships that maybe aren't functioning properly or that we need to address, but we might not know how to address it because there's just that, that general sense of this is going to create conflict and I don't yeah. want to do that. So how do we start to lean into conflict and start to move through our sort of natural avoidance of that conflict in our relationship dynamic?
1: Yeah, I think the first step is is to have a mindset that embraces conflict, right? It's, um, it's just knowing, like getting out of the fantasies like I was in, that a good relationship or you pick the right person means you never fight things like that. That's just nonsense. We have to go, okay, as you said, conflict's an inevitable part of life. It's always going to be here. It's here to stay. It's actually good. It it helps us grow. It's like really generative in the world. Um, It can be. So if we have that attitude alone, that's huge, number one. Um, So having the right attitude. And then we can go into our partnership and we can own that, name that. We can say, look, let's, I know we're going to after the honeymoon phase wears off, we're probably going to get into some snags. We're probably going to disagree. We're probably going to, once we move in together, it's you're going to trigger me in ways that I've, I don't even know. And this is, so I've heard. So how about we equip ourselves with um, some tools so that we can begin to say yes and, and move through the conflict quickly. Cause man, if you, if you embrace conflict, the drama actually lessens and you can move through things faster versus dodging and weaving and avoiding. So mindset. And then getting some tools, just some basic tools on listening, how to listen well, for example, how to speak in a way another person can understand you.
0: Mm, nice, yeah. I think that there's some really important parts of that that I think we we should probably dive a little bit more into. And specifically, it sounds like, you know, for for me, for some of the work that I've done and and you know, working with couples and working with guys, it looks like this component of having having one person within the relationship actually lean into the conflict. And especially, you know, I've heard from a lot of, of women that it's actually quite attractive for a man to be able to stand in this conflict, to be able to face this conflict within the relationship. Yeah. There's something about it that that a lot of women communicate as it helps them feel safe and relaxed in the relationship. Um, can you unpack that a little bit? Because I think that's important for a lot of guys to know. Because you know, in my teenage years, in my early twenties, and and I've seen a lot of guys struggle with this. I had the perception that if I leaned into conflict, or or, or even not created conflict, but if I really um, addressed the conflict that was already within the relationship, I had this idea that I was rocking the boat and that I was mm-hmm. part of the problem rather than part of the solution. And once I started to understand that by leaning into the conflict, I was actually taking a form of leadership within the relationship and it helped my partner relax because then she started to see that I was, you know, addressing the problems. It really started to shift the dynamics. So, so can you, can you just unpack that a little bit for our listeners?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said um, something about safety there. I think that's kind of the root of everything is the more I study uh, neuro interpersonal neurobiology, the more I come to understand how essential safety is. So if you want to make your partner feel safe, um, and some people would say, well, it's not my job to make my partner feel safe. And I, yeah, I hear you. I used to think that also. And there's this inevitable intersection of nervous systems when we come together, especially after many years. So this is more for people who are now have been married or have been together for many years because that's our nervous systems are bumping up against each other all the time. And so if you understand that, that we're two scared animals when we get triggered. And so someone has to be the calm alpha male or alpha female to like calm the collective nervous system that takes on a whole different uh, approach and we can become a team and we can work to calm each other down and help each other feel safe because I might intellectually think I'm safe in a relationship, but down below in my nervous system, I might feel very unsafe and threatened by you and how you act and your tone of voice and the way you've just looked at me. And all these subtleties are the things that fire and trigger us because of implicit memories. So um, if I can again have the attitude of, like, oh, right, I'm gonna get triggered a lot, how do we help each other when we're triggered? How do we have each other's backs? Um And it is my. I take it as my responsibility to help my wife feel safe uh, because her nervous. There's certain things I do that jack her nervous system up. So it's my job to repair that. So it's not about the rupture. We're always going to have a rupture. There's always going to be disharmony. It's how quickly can we return and repair and come back into harmony again and back Mm. into safety. So um, my wife and I, you know, we have all kinds of like tactics and plans on how do we get back to like a good space and. We do that through helping each other feel safe, helping each other's nervous system, really the scared animal feel safe.
0: Mm. Yeah. So, so there's, there's some really cool stuff in here that I want to dive into specifically around understanding the, the nervous system, because I think that's a huge part because we, we start to create these patterns within our relationship. And oftentimes it's these patterns that that will decide or sort of dictate whether or not we are in a really healthy relationship that's on an incline or we're in an unhealthy relationship, some decline. And so I want to, I want to dive into that. And then I want to circle back to what you're talking about with, you know, some of these, um, some of these sort of not tactics, but, but habits that you and your wife have formed that you see really healthy couples forming that help Mm -hmm. them deal with, with conflicts. I think that one of the biggest Uh, challenges that couples often face or even you know whether it's new couples or couples that have been together for years is that after conflict it's challenging sometimes to come back down and find a a a rebalanced sense of of normality because we can often stay in that peak state which then impacts a lot of our decisions and impacts our intimacy so so let's come let's come back to this this nervous system part of this How do you see behaviors within couples impact the nervous system? And then how does that cycle uh, impact the relationship dynamic itself and the energies and the, and the decisions that are happening within the relationship?
1: Cool. Well, we, we all come into a relationship with our nervous system pretty set in place around relationships from our past. So your earliest memories in your body will show up later in a long-term relationship to sort of awaken and get activated. So it's really good. This is why it's good to look at your past and examine your past because it's going to show up in your body in the present. So if I grew up with a uh, dad with a tone of voice, for example, um, and I'm sensitive to a tone of voice and every time my dad raised his voice at me as a boy, I went into kind of a freeze response or a, a fight response Um, I'm going to likely find a partner later in life that has a tone of voice and it's going to trigger me and my nervous system into that same exact response because the amygdala uh, in our brain can't tell the difference between again, a mountain lion or, you know, a person who's just raising their voice. It, It can't decipher that. And it happens so fast in nanoseconds. So we get triggered and then we like judge ourselves. Like, what's the big deal? Why am I making such a big deal out of this? You know? And, or we judge the, our partner judges us. Like, why are you making such a big deal of this? But we're activated. It's a big deal. And if I understand my past, I go, oh, right. This is what happens when someone raises their voice at me. I have this whole history of kind of feeling traumatized or even mildly activated when someone raises their voice. And so then I can like, it gives me a little more kindness toward myself and my partner knowing that history. So this is why it's important to know your partner's history um, when you get together, especially After again, it's nice to be proactive in the honeymoon phase to do this But if you you're too blissed out great, but it's going to come later So you may as well examine it and get to know each other better here because you will Trigger each other into these places that where the implicit memory just awakens Um, And it's again below consciousness below our awareness Uh, Stephen Porges calls it neuroception or it's body to body Connor you walk home from work. I'm dating you You walk in the door because you've had a hard day the moment I see you and I see your face, I feel it on a body level, what your vibe is before words even come out of your mouth. And I'm already reacting to you. That's neuroception. So if we begin to, um, again, understand this, it's not a big deal. It's like, oh, this is just body to body, how we, how we act and talk. And, and then we can start to um, develop some tactics and tools to like, address it. And the first thing is definitely talking about it.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I, I love that because I think what you're talking about, you know, oftentimes they, we, we perceive spirituality and science to kind of be on two different realms. But a lot of the times there's really a bridge between what people are often trying to say, right? Like you can talk about motor neurons and how, or sorry, mirror neurons and how mirror neurons will pick up other people's body language. And uh, their sort of like emotional state and, and, and that can be reflected in our own body and our own emotional body. And, you know, in the spiritual realm, they'll talk about vibes and vibration and, and how, you know, the people that you surround yourself with, you know, their vibes will, will basically impact your vibes. And, and they're on some level talking about roughly the same thing. Right. And so I think it's important to note that you're understanding your internal, um, sense, your, your internal sort of, uh, stasis level like where you naturally reside whether you're naturally a little bit more anxious whether you're naturally a little bit more unattached from relationships uh whether you're a little bit more stable and and obviously we all want to self-identify as being like completely stable and completely healthy and you know totally all fine like that's that's where that's where we all want to go to yeah that's me i'm I'm totally healthy i have no issues whatsoever but i think that's great yeah yeah but i think that once we can start to understand as you're talking about you know, and understand our, our personal past and how that shows up in how we, how we present ourselves in, in our current relationship. It's so important because if we know that we have a propensity to being anxious when somebody leaves or a propensity to being anxious when somebody doesn't text us back uh, or, or a, a tendency to avoid somebody if there's conflict, then we can start to not only self-identify that, but communicate that in a relationship. So uh, I love I love what you're talking about there. So in terms of in terms of how to actually take some of this on, do you find that there's merit in having um, sort of like not sentence structures, but but things that couples can utilize tools that couples can utilize in terms of addressing some of this because it doesn't come natural, right? Most of us want to avoid getting into some of these conversations. So how do we segue into them? What do you, what do you recommend for couples who want to be able to have these conversations a little bit, a little bit more effectively?
1: I mean, just naming that right there, what you said, and it's like, Hey, I want to have more effective conversations. I want to learn how to listen better to you, honey. Just that alone is like, that's the first step. Right. And then we can take a class, um, watch it, listen to a podcast, go to a talk and we can start to get some tools. And a lot of us think we know how to listen, <laughs> I not know how to talk. I don't know how to listen. I don't need any help there. But if we interviewed your partner and we said, do they, do, you, do they listen in such a way that has you feel seen, understood and relaxed? They're like mm, some of the time, but no, some of the time. No, right. All of us are going to get that kind of feedback. Sometimes we're really on point and we're just got it. And other times it's like, no, I, I missed the mark there. Or I can listen to my wife and do the technique perfectly. But if my heart's not behind it, it's, it's going to fall flat. She's yeah. gonna be like, fuck you. Like that doesn't work. (laughs) Stop doing a technique on me. So we got to be behind the technique. Uh, but initially, usually for the beginners out there, like I used to be in this realm, beginner in plenty area, other areas is you have to do the technique until it becomes second nature, right? Like it's kind of clunky at first. You're going to sound like you're therapizing each other or that's like reflective listening is a great tool, right? We all teach this. And It can feel... So it sounds like, Connor, you said that you went to the park today and then you walked your dog and then this happened to you. Did I get that right? That can sound really contrived, but that's the technique. And then eventually you start to riff and use your own words and it can feel really natural. And it changes the way we listen. It's unreal what can open up, uh, especially over there when you listen well to someone.
0: Yeah, I I mean, it's interesting because usually what I find for a lot of guys is like when you do talk to their to their partner and you start digging into a little bit around like, when, when do you feel listened to him by him? And when do you not feel listened to by him? It's usually like, Oh, he listens really well to me, except for when it comes to this scenario. And usually it has to do with, usually has to do with reactivity. And so I want to talk about reactivity a little bit because oftentimes what we react to in our relationship and you know cuz i hear a lot of guys being like i just lost it you know i just reached this uh-huh. place or i just lost it and i blew up or i just lost it and i totally shut down and we seem yeah. to have these trigger points that we react to and so i would love to uh, i would love for you to just unpack maybe a little bit around reactivity why that shows up what it indicates and how we can start to address it
1: cool well again we're back into the fight flight freeze response uh nervous system we just need to know our particular habit you know what's the rut in our brain what's the groove that when pushed and when we're emotional what's the default setting we go to and for some of us it's more explosive reacting and for some of us it's more imploding Uh, some of us just kind of sit there and go blank um so knowing your flavor is key and then knowing your partner's flavor is key and then again getting support around that because again Chances are if you're like i don't have any anger issues I'm, I'm not an angry person, but then it comes out right it spills out that was me. I' drink enough alcohol and I get in a fight. Here comes the big anger right, and I wasn't an angry person, so that's just repressed anger from my past that I eventually had to deal with right I don't want to be that guy so I think um again we the the brain can't really decipher uh, a real threat from a perceived threat, and so we we tend to quote, Overreact, um, and that's the, uh, it's just key to know. I mean, we could get really into the, the nuts and bolts of the brain, but I don't know that that would be that useful here.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, what I was going to say is it's it sounds like you know what we're reactive to is oftentimes a learned behavior in some way. It's something that that is a, a wound from a past or a hurt from a past, whether it's a past relationship or you know something that we learned in childhood. And yeah. and so I'm I'm curious as to how you recommend people go about identifying those components because you know what i've seen with a lot of with a lot of guys and i'm just using guys in this because that's that's who i work with predominantly but what i've seen with a lot in a lot of men is that they'll react to something in a relationship right so they'll get triggered by their partner let's say um being upset with them not honoring honoring the word right so they'll say i'm going to be home by you know, 10 o'clock and then they show up at 1020 and they're 20 minutes late and they haven't communicated it and their partner starts to get on them. And all of a sudden, boom, they're instantly triggered. They're instantly reactive and they're blowing up and they're like, you know, screw you, get off my case, like stop getting on me again and blah, blah, blah. And oftentimes that's an indicator, not of that present moment, but of the past and something that's happened in the past. So how can we start to identify where, you know, where that trigger point is coming from and actually start to work through it. Cause I think that's a really important component that a lot of men are are looking to do because then we can, then we can stay present, right? Then we can actually face the fire. We can face what's actually happening in the present moment and we can be stronger in that moment and actually have the conversation.
1: Totally. Yeah. Let's first say kind of rule of thumb, like wherever you're triggered is where your work is. So that would be good for a guy to know that, okay, I get triggered when people show up late or it's not so much being late. It's that they said they were going to be on time and then they didn't do what they said they would do. So that's maybe more of the trigger. So examine where you're triggered. Uh, and that's where your work is. That's where your growing edge is. And that's where you have something to learn. And then I'd say there's two pretty simple questions you can ask. Um, where have I seen this behavior, similar behavior before, be kind of the external question and then the internal question is where have I reacted or had an issue with this type of behavior out there where have I um, gone into some sort of reactivity around that behavior mm-hmm. and those are, those are two questions that can gently guide us towards our past well my dad always showed up later or my mom you know was never on time or my dad judged my mom when she was late uh, we can and then I would go into my room and shut down and start reading um, you know, that's the second part of the question, the internal, what did I do in the face of that behavior? And am I still doing that? Am I still doing my thing? Um, so those are, those might be two simple questions we can ask ourselves.
0: Those are great. Those are great. I think that, uh, we'll, we'll include those in the show notes. Cause I think those'd be great for, for people to write down and, and remind themselves in the moment. I, I, I always try and have these sort of tools that I can recall in the moment. If I, if I am triggered, if I am upset. Um, you know, which happens it happens to everybody no nobody oh, yeah. isn 't not triggered at some point in their in their life, um, even the dalai lama i mean he 's talked about this before so oh, yeah. um, so that that 's awesome. I really appreciate that so now I would love to shift gears into into sort of maintenance you know how do we what what are some of the tools? what are some of the practices that you see really healthy couples? Uh, maintaining, because I think this is just like anything else if there 's you know we have physical health, we have mental health, we have emotional health, but we also also have relational health with our partner, mm-hmm. and just like anything else there 's routines and habits that that help us maintain that relational health and i 'm curious as to what you 've seen work really well for for couples in, in terms of maintaining
1: a healthy relationship cool like an evening or morning check in is like a must you know some kind of check in where it's like hey how are you? not just a passing hi how are you but let's check in and actually framing it as a check in um let let me get the kind of pulse of you what's the headline in your life and let's kind of drill down a teeny bit just like what's up for you right now honey and here's what's up for me i'm overwhelmed the kids are like in my face i'm like can't get to my list my to do list is growing i'm just holy shit Okay, got it. Wow, good to know because yeah, I see you kind of doing that thing. And what about you? Well, I'm great. I'm feeling really resourced. I just got this raise. I'm kicking ass. And but I'm not so good here. And so that would be the third part of the check in. So we just both check in, and then the third part is how are we? How are we? How are we today? How how did we do today? Um, that at least once a week. At least once a week. But ideally, it's some kind of daily check in about how's the pulse of the relationship and because so often especially after years right we take someone for granted and it's like we start to automate them and this is again part of the brain's intelligence is we automate our partner and they become predictable and we we put them in a box yeah i got them figured out i already know how they are i don't need to check in with them but i think that starts to kill the intimacy and the, the vibe between the two of you so those are um some things uh another one would be that they healthy couples are completely willing and able to get external feedback. So that means from therapy, that means maybe from a mentor couple, a mentor coach, uh, friends of theirs, someone to give them external reflection, especially when they're stuck. um, But also a couple that can reflect back their greatness and their potential. And that's, that can be harder to find, but the external feedback part isn't, you can just go hire a therapist in your local town pretty easily um, but I, I think having the basically like a pit crew of people when the shit gets hard that you've got to help you out. Cause we all, every couple's going to get a little stuck at some point and it's key to, to go get that help for yourselves. That's another big one. Um, yeah, the shared values, like having, having some kind of shared vision, uh, where we're headed together. Hmm. Cause again, if you're over here and I'm over here and we're doing living parallel lives, um, that's not as vibrant as a couple. I find then two people who are like, we have our individual lives, but there's this crossover in the middle where we really can, where we were up to something special and it could be our kids, or it could be that we have a business together, or it could be that we have something to teach together or something to learn together, um, or a hobby that we love to do together. So that those are, I think some big ones.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it, it kind of what comes to mind immediately are the words of Napoleon Hill and the, the guy that wrote Think and Grow Rich. And even in his book, he talks about, you know, the power of the mastermind and and how, you, you know, you need to have a, a group of really strong people around you to support you on your journey. And yeah. and I've seen the power of the mastermind. But one of the things that he really says is the the most important mastermind is that with your intimate partner. And that Hmm. that relationship should really be the bedrock or the foundation of your life. Because like you were saying, having the two of you moving in the same direction. So they should be the person that is your sounding board in a lot of ways. And I think that this is where I see a lot of couples uh, struggle sometimes is that, you know, one person doesn't feel like they're a part of the mastermind. They don't feel like they're supporting yeah. the other partner moving in that direction. Of course, we want to be on our partner's tier team, you know, like we want to be a, their, their biggest advocate. So, uh, can, can you speak to that and, and, and how you've seen that show up in relationships?
1: Yeah, totally. I I'm with you, man. Uh, it's so essential, right? Like my relationship with my wife is the most important relationship in my life, hmm. hands down. And she needs to feel that. And that can't be some intellectual, conceptual thing that I just tell my friends or just tell you. If she feels it and she's like, "I feel that I'm the most important thing in your life," then we, we're on the same page there and we have a shared reality and it feels really good. Because there's moments and times where she doesn't feel that, and the claim, I, my claim is that, no, no, honey, you are, but I'm not. I'm not living it in a way that has her feel really like a priority and considered. So we need to back it up, back up that sort of intellectual aspiration with actions that, that match it and has the other person feel that way. So hell yes to that. My wife's my confidant, my best friend. Uh, sometimes my coach, sometimes my therapist, sometimes my, you know, sparring partner and all kinds of shit. Um, <laughs> she's my co-parent co-pilot, you know, she's, she's everything. And um, I wouldn't have it any other way. Cause it's, it's like from the well of what I call a secure home base, her and I can accomplish so much together, right? Versus if I was on my own and we're kind of struggling and she doesn't really know about my internal struggle. Um yeah, that's that's rough. Cause I, I see partnership as like we're traveling this crazy metaphorical world together. And imagine being in a dinghy out in the middle of the ocean with someone you don't really like or respect or you have all these issues with. You want to clean that shit up so that you can handle the storms coming your way and the waves and the sharks and everything else. So I I think it's crucial to have the the fundamental mastermind be you and your partner.
0: Yeah. I I love that analogy. I always, I always like to ask couples like, do you feel like you're rowing the boat in the same direction? Because oftentimes it's such a simple analogy, right? It's, it's so simple, but at the same time, it really helps people just clarify and simplify. Are we both moving in the same direction or are we, are we a counterforce to each other's life or are we a counterforce to each other's relationship? So I, yeah. I think that that's a really a really great uh, perspective that you just provided, and then I'm curious as to you know I, I think the relationship that you just described is is beautiful in a lot of ways, and I think that it's something that a lot of men strive for you know like a, the majority of guys that i've that I've met and the majority of guys that you know I'm assuming are tuning into this podcast and are a part of the Mantos community all, all over North America are are the types of guys that are really wanting that strong, healthy kick-ass connected relationship and where I see a lot of men really struggle is in the intimacy or in the vulnerability of actually showing up and communicating to their partners what's going on especially when it revolves around struggling and so I kind of mm-hmm. see two sides of this I see the guys struggling to to like lean in to put you know inviting their partner into that space but I also hear a lot of women being like I want my man to open up more. I just want them to open up. I want him to yeah. be more, you know, open. And, and like, yeah. I swear to you, I get asked on every single interview yeah, from women. is yeah. just like, how can men open up? And so, you I know, I think, yeah, how can I crack the code? And so I'm, I'm curious to get your perspective. Cause I think, you know, probably every man on this podcast has probably heard that from some partner in his life of like, I just wish you'd open up more. And for a lot of guys, it's like, well, how the hell do I do that? Like, what are you even talking about? So maybe uh-huh. can you just unpack that a little bit? Like, how do we create that space within our relationship of, of opening up, you know, quote unquote, opening up to, to our partners, having them feel connected to us enough and, and having us feel strong and, and still, still feeling a, a resemblance of strength within our masculinity of inviting our partner into what's going on in our inner world?
1: Yeah, totally, man. It's an important question here. I mean, if if guys could get the power of this, and you teach this all the time, I'm sure, of just if you can get your heart online in a relationship in a strong way, it completely transforms the depth of intimacy, the power of your connection, the sexual life you have together. So um, guys, I think, have to first and foremost see that as even a conceptual thing if they don't grasp it experientially. That that's only gonna you just gotta kind of take other guys' word for it that that's only gonna help your relationship be more outstanding. Um, That might start to have you slowly inch toward those waters. And if I'm a guy, I would ask myself, do I get that feedback? Have women just been like, I want to get in there, or have they been too scared to ask? Or am I sensing? Am I kind of driving women away with my porcupine quills and my irritability? if so and you've seen it happen enough times you got to at some point go into coach or therapist someone and say i want to h- work with this wall that i have and i want to i want to help de-armoring so that i can actually have a ro- rocking intimate relationship that's a really noble effort and your woman's going to be so stoked on that cuz she's going to be like thank you thank you thank you so but i think for women that are dating those kind of guys you have to decide um it's it's like if you're getting out the hammer and chisel, he's probably on lockdown for a reason, a really good reason, and it has to do with his past, and he may not even be aware of it. it might, he might be completely oblivious that he's numb around his heart, and that's his journey to make, and you're never going to get in there. Um, there's not no, you're not, you can't wave a wand or break it down. In fact, that might even send him further away, and, and I find that when women push and push and push, it usually drives a guy a little further away. So, cause he feels judged and criticized, right? I'm not, I'm not okay as I am. Um, so the best thing you can do is love a guy like that as he is. And that might melt his heart. And if, if it doesn't, then you can move on. Right. Um, but it's uh, I mean, I think just to, to get in the bottom line message here is two hearts that are um, less defended is going to be a more vibrant, sexy relationship. Mm.
0: Yeah. I, I love that. I think there's, I can't remember. I got to look this up. I can't remember who said this quote, but it's, uh, the longest journey a man will ever take is from his, the 18 inches from his head to his heart. And (laughs) I think that that's, you know, it's just so applicable because I think, you know, so many guys like, and I still struggle with this of being stuck in analysis paralysis sometimes. Right. And really trying to like rationalize, well, do I tell her this or do I say that? And and we just are in that space. And if we just dropped into our, you know, as, as sort of cliche or weird as it might sound to some of the guys that are listening to this, is if we just drop into our heart a little bit. The answer is right there. It's like, you know what? Screw mm-hmm. all the stereotypes, screw all the stigmas, you know, maybe don't worry about about so much about their the reaction or anything like that. And just be honest and just be truthful in that moment. And, and I think that there's two parts to what I love about what you're saying. First and foremost, there's a responsibility on on you know the the feminine side of things to hold space for that because I think a lot of women say, "I want a guy to open up, I want a guy to be vulnerable," but i've also heard a lot of women say that they 're confronted by that and they don 't know how to deal with it and so I think a lot of guys are yeah. like, "Are you going to be able to see the softer side of me to really embrace the fact that I don't have my shit together?" 110% of the time, can you, right. are you strong enough for that? And I think that there's, there's so key. a really crucial part of that. So like for the, for the women out there, it's like, can you, actually, can you actually see that part of your man? And then the, there's the man's responsibility of that, which is what you were communicating before, which I think is so important of being self-aware enough to know when you're walled up. And if you're walled up, and I, and I think I would love for you to unpack what the difference between walls and boundaries are. But if you're walled up, it's, they're just there to keep her out, and so now you're, you know, you you're not living into the relationship that you want. You're not getting the intimacy that you want, the connection, the love, any of those pieces. And at some point in time, you need to take responsibility for that. You know, like you need to yeah. really lean into that. And so, um, just to circle back, can you unpack maybe the difference between walls and boundaries, and why why you know boundaries are so important, and how can you know create healthy ones?
1: Yeah. Let me do that by talking about me and my mom for a second. Is that all right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So when I first got into a relationship with my wife, what ended up happening was I was projecting my mom onto my wife a lot. And I grew up with a mom who was awesome and she was a little invasive in her energetic boundaries. At least that's how it felt to me. And then she would get cold. She would go cold on me. Um, and so whenever my wife behaves in, I love you so much. Oh my God, you're amazing. And she's moving toward me with just this radiant love. I, early on in the relationship, I felt invaded by that. I felt actually turned off by that, even though she was in her heart and it wasn't like this needy woman that was trying to cling to me, but I was projecting that onto her. I had to decipher out, well, hold on, what is this? Uh, It took me a couple of years actually to get that one. And then when she'd go cold, um, withdraw on me, same thing, projecting mom stuff onto her. So I had to do a lot of work around my mom to actually see my wife and to right see that, Oh, she just loves me. She just gives a shit about me. And when she shuts down, that's not about me. She's like triggered by something I did, but it's about her history and that's just going on for her. And I can actually sit here and love her through that. And that got us into a whole new level of place. And in terms of the boundaries, I had to learn also how to set boundaries because as a kid, I couldn't set boundaries with mom. I was too young and uh, wasn't like, she. I, mom, I'm setting boundaries today and I'm four years old and she's like, okay, sorry, honey, get out of my room. Okay, cool. Um, you know, I didn't have the <laughs> cognitive awareness and power to do that, which a lot of us don't as kids. So we need to learn those lessons later on when someone's coming at us with their need or their desperation or even their love. It's like, hey, time out. Well, I'm, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm starting to feel blown out. I'm starting to feel like withdrawing. Um, I need a break. That can be a really good time to set a boundary because I don't want to go into a really triggered place that I can be proactive enough to be like, Ooh, I can sense I'm going into the red zone. Just, just the simple T here. Um, I need space. It's not about you. Most likely I just need a break. Cause I'm feeling overwhelmed. So I, I like that you asked that because there is a, there is a distinction there, right. Of, um, Walling up because I'm just in a childhood pattern of like I project whoever onto you, and I'm defended as hell because I'm I'm gonna get hurt if I open this up. I'm gonna get hurt. That's really different than I'm starting to feel overwhelmed or upset, and I need to take a break. Right? Those are really different energies.
0: Mm. Yeah, I I love that, and I think you know what this what you said the story about your mom is is really interesting, and I think that a lot of guys can probably identify with that. Uh, In some way, shape or form, maybe it's not the same narrative. Like for me, my mom was completely emotionally cut off. And so she wouldn't talk about emotions. She wouldn't address them whenever there was like a lot of conflict. There was just complete shutdown. And Uh so how that showed up in my relationship is that I would seek these like very emotionally, sometimes volatile women because Uh I just craved that sort of like emotional connection of like, just show me some freaking emotion, please. Like I just want something. Having, I just, yeah. yeah, I just didn't get it as a kid. And so once I started to like realize that pattern, I kind of started to realize, you know, where, where my walls were and where my boundaries were and how I could, you know, set that up properly, because I had crap yeah. boundaries, because I just wanted that sort of like emotionality to come into my experience. Wow.
1: Yeah. So did you have to learn boundaries with the kind of volatile woman? Did you have to learn to say no and stand up and...
0: Totally. Yeah. I I had to learn, I had to learn how to set boundaries properly because I had walled off in different areas. I would just hide parts of myself. Those were, those were my walls. I would just like wall off parts of myself that they just never got to see that they didn't even know existed. And, and then on the other side, I had to create healthy boundaries because they just were kind of like non-existent in certain areas. So I think diving into those relationships from our childhood are so important. So I love that you told that story.
1: Cool. Yeah. Love it. Yeah, I mean, relationships, such a great path, right? To learn about ourselves. It's just like if nothing else. Like you're going to learn a lot in relationships yeah. versus I'm going to be happy here. Uh, you know, it takes on a whole different meaning.
0: Yeah. And, and then I think this kind of segues into, you know, how I want to start wrapping, wrapping up just cause we were closing out for time. But one of the things that I've started to see is that conflict can often be transformed into our greatest form of intimacy once we start to really dig in and so i think that a lot of people unconsciously recognize this right like they understand that there's something about conflict that if they could unpack that or really understand it within a relationship dynamic that their relationship is going to be a lot healthier a lot more connected a lot more loving a lot more sexually charged and so uh, how do we start to transform the conflict within our relationship into intimacy? What does that path or bridge look like?
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, again, love the question. It's so important because conflict is either, it can be either a door or a doorway.
0: Yeah. yeah. What, what I, I was going to say is like the, the caveat to this is that there's, there's a healthy way, right? Because some people will use conflict unhealthily. In terms of like creating that sexual charge. And so they'll create conflict to like, you know, have certain parts of their relationship hold on, but it'll be very, very yeah. dysfunctional. So how do we, how do we use conflict to translate into intimacy in a healthy, connected
1: way? Yeah, great. One comment on that last thing you said is I used to create unconsciously create fights with my partner to get connection, right? I would create drama to talk, to, to like, to hang out and like, let's work something out. Cause I I'm feeling distant. I'm feeling really far away from you. So some of us have that pattern. So if that's you, you know, call yourself out and, and go work on that. Um, but yeah, how do we, how do we make conflict a doorway instead of door and trans transformative so that on the other side, we're in a more loving, sexy space. Um, again, number one is the attitude that we're going to embrace conflict first and foremost, And we got to see conflict as what's, what am I here to learn? What, what is the lesson I need to learn right now? I mean, if we just forget everything else, it's like, what is this conflict trying to teach me about myself and my partner? And if you can get that and you can answer that question, and both of you are on board with trying to answer that question, it's going to be a different ballgame on the other side. So there's a lot of other things I could say, but just to try to keep it really simple is, um, Conflict is 100% of the time designed to get you to get to know each other better and deep have a deeper connection on the other side. So stay with it and learn how to do it. I mean, if if that was true, like, wouldn't you want to like go through the struggle to get the goodies on the other side if that was true? Like find out if that's true for yourself, listener. And like the next fight you get in, be 100% committed to working through it no matter how long it takes. Even if you need to hire someone to come help you mediate the conversation. In the conflict, and get on the other side, and find out from your own experience if that's true
0: yeah, I, I like it, I like it I, I always like to challenge guys with with you know what's the type of relationship that you actually want to have for yourself, and then they usually describe it, and then the next question is always, are you actually committed to having that because there's a certain amount of work and effort that would go into that and and usually, I see these guys who have amazing careers and great businesses and and not that this is always the case but oftentimes their relationship is shit. And it's because they are not committed in the same way to their relationship as they are to their business. And, and if they put the same amount of effort, not that they need to you know, put 90 or 60 or 80 hours a week into having that relationship function, but if they put the same kind of care and effort into it that they would have that relationship. And so oftentimes it's like, no, you really don't want to do what it takes in order to have that level of healthy relationship. And that's actually what your woman is asking of you. She's actually just asking you to give a shit and to put the effort into the relationship in the same way that you would in your career and business. And and again, that's not always the case. There are a lot of men out there that put the effort and put the energy in. Um, So I, I like what you're saying about starting to like, get really honest with yourself and call yourself out.
1: Yeah. And I like to say, just to tack on what you said, there is a great relationship is earned. You know, it's not given to you. Like it's given to you in the, in the beginning, like, oh my God, I met someone amazing. And you're in like bliss land, but later on it's earned.
0: Mm. Yeah. And absolutely. And, and just to wrap things up here, I wanted to get your take on gratitude and appreciation and how, not only how important, I think we all kind of consciously know that they're important components of our relationship, but how do we exercise this on a, on a regular basis? Um, so just those two parts, why is it so important and how can we actually implement this in our relationship to, to create a healthy, connected relationship in terms of gratitude, gratitude and appreciation. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I'm, uh, I like to say that if I'm not grateful for my wife and for our relationship, I'm definitely Um, my life's harder. It's more painful and we're going to struggle a lot more. So even in the struggles, like we recently bought a house and moved and it was such a journey. And people say like moving is one of the top five, like divorce causers and like relationship fucker uppers. And so we, I mean, it was hard, trust me. It was, it was really hard, but every day it's like, oh my God, I like, if I can find that gratitude genuinely, like, I'm just grateful for this, that I get to do this with you and I'm not alone um, in this crazy move. And that is, is so enormous. And we feel, uh, I like that you mentioned appreciation too. Like it's so, so I want to feel appreciated, right. In my relationship, I don't want to be resented. Um, so how do we continually turn things over to have gratitude and appreciation be our goal? Like so that we can look each other in the eyes at the end of the day, laying in bed, you know, exhausted, you know, raising a family and businesses and craziness and high five each other and look each other in the eye and say, you know, I really appreciate who you are and how you roll. Um, it doesn't always have to be, I love you cause that can get wrote, but just some acknowledgement. Like I see you, I'm so grateful that you, you specifically you are in my life right now. Mm. And the more genuine we can make it each day, um, around just whatever the statement is that comes out of our heart, uh, it's going to go a long way. So I, am I'm with you. Like it's essential.
0: Nice. And do you recommend, do you, do you recommend making like consciously part of our, our sort of daily habits and starting to integrate that? Because I know there's, you know, some of the research around uh, like appreciative inquiry from Dr. John, (laughs) John Gottman, you know, he, he talks quite a bit about having the, you know, having a ratio for the, you know, very statistically oriented people, but having a five to one ratio with our intimate partner around Uh, appreciative interactions versus challenging or quote unquote negative interactions. So how can we go about, you know, you've talked about having the check-ins. How can we go about having these moments where our partner feels connected and appreciated from us? Like, how can we go about building that into our day?
1: Yeah. um, Well, I think some people do schedule that and, and even, you know, three things I'm grateful for at the end of the day, laying in bed together, those those things are awesome. I don't do those with my wife. We don't have a protocol like that. Ours is a little more spontaneous because it feels more genuine to us. Um, but if spontaneous looks like once a month or once a year, it's probably not going to cut it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I'd say it's unique to each people. The problem I just want to challenge the notion of like a daily practice is is if we don't do it and we don't mean it that day, and sometimes we're triggered for days, we can start to beat up beat up on ourselves and be hard on ourselves. So it's like, and then we're adding another layer to the pile. So I think it's better to just say, honey, I'm not able to get to gratitude today for you. Cause I'm too in it. I'm in my own shit. Uh, I'm swimming over here. I'm kind of a mess and, uh, I'll, I'm coming back. I'm going to get there. Just give me some time. I need space. I need time. I'm working on it and I actually come around and I genuinely three days later come around and then I'm like, honey, I made it. And God, I'm grateful for you for hanging in there with me. That's going to go a lot further than trying to force some kind of gratitude thing at night, you know? So each couple, you know, is going to, I think, I encourage you to find your way listeners uh, with that, but definitely make it regular enough that it's noticed and you both feel like a priority and you both feel appreciated.
0: I love that. I love that man. I think that's that's so applicable because oftentimes we try and have these, you know, gratitude regiments that are just militaristic. And and sometimes, especially because it's such a buzz thing in our in our culture and in our you know, especially in our relationships and whatnot. And I think that sometimes it just doesn't work for people, you know, when you're in that space where you feel like you're not winning, where you feel like you just can't catch a break and you're in your, you know, quote unquote in the shit. And you're trying to express gratitude. It just feels so fake. And so I love, yeah. the, I love the simplified concept of like, you know, own where you're at, call call it out. And if you're not in the space of being able to provide genuine gratitude for your partner, not because of something that they've done, but necessarily because of where you're at, <clears throat> then then just own that and, and don't do it because it's forced and it's not going to land for the other person. I, I think that that's fantastic. Yeah, cool. Do you think that um, that plays into being able to deepen intimacy, like that level of ownership? And and do you think that that's going to have our partners feel more connected to
1: us? Hell yeah. Hell yeah, man. The, The most intimate thing I can do in any given moment with my partner, no matter where I'm at, is just say one vulnerable statement about where I'm at. I'm struggling today. I'm having a hard time connecting with you. I'm feeling really triggered and anxious right now. All of those statements are intimacy building. Um, and if we say them from a place of vulnerability, um, just kind of putting our cards on the table and saying, here I am, here I am, honey, like here, here's where I'm at, as opposed to ammunition that's trying to push them away to get space. If we can really stay in our heart uh, as much as we can, even if we have a wall up just to say, I am struggling. I am vacant. I'm checked out. I don't know what's going on with me. Any of that is intimacy building. Mm. So yes.
0: I love it. I love it, man. Well, we got to start to wrap up here, Jason. So I just wanted to kind of see what resources you could offer people. I know that you run the relationship school. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, totally. So I'm on a mission to uh, give people the class they never got in school on how to do a romantic relationship well. Because Lord knows we all screw this one up later on in life and cause a lot of headache and heartache. So uh, I'm psyched. You know, we learned from our parents and church People and sports coaches, and that's fine. That takes us so far, but to, to truly do the work of a and enjoy and earn a, a wonderful, uh, sexy, safe, successful relationship, it's going to take some learning. So, if you just take on the mindset of learning, great. And if you want to come learn here at the Relationship School, uh, please do. It's RelationshipSchool.net, and we have nine-month courses. They're pretty rigorous. Uh, two weekend intensives. The rest is virtual. We train relationship coaches and we're growing and uh, we've got some virtual courses as well. So you can just go and download our scorecard and you can on the main page there and you can score your relationship and and decide am I above and if I'm above an 80, I'm actually doing really well. And if I'm below an 80, I got some work to do. And then the next question is, am I willing to learn? Nice.
0: I love that. I love that. And um, maybe just, we'll just, we'll cap off with uh, just two or three questions. Uh, First and foremost, what, relationship books, maybe one or two books, do you often recommend?
1: Yeah, well, I'm going to be recommending my own book very soon.
0: Yeah, there it the is. Yeah,
1: The Smart Couple Quote Book. What's up? comes out in November, so stay tuned for that. Uh, and it's a, just an inspirational book to sit on your bedside stand and read a quote a day or something like that. It's really fun. Um, I'm a big fan of Stan Tacken's work, uh, Wired for Love. Uh, I've interviewed him a couple of times on the Smart Couple Podcast, and he's... He's just a force around the neurobiology of what happens when two people partner on a nervous system level, kind of the adult attachment stuff. He's one of the great attachment books out right now. I'd say that's the big one. And then the kind of an older classic, I think that gets people psychologically savvy is conscious loving Harville Hendricks. It's an old, old one, but it gives people this view of what he calls the imago where we're basically attracting our parents into our life so that we can heal some of those childhood injuries. That's a good one to just get that frame because most anyone that's hit to the relationship work gets that you're, you marry some version of your parents and then you got some shit to work out. <laughs> so if you don't get that if you're It's like kind of a pain in the ass, but if you get that you're like, Oh, this is the game. Oh, okay, cool. It's not that big of a deal.
0: Love it. Love it, man. And uh, finally, what is one of your favorite quotes around relationships since you've just picked up that book, put you on the spot?
1: Uh, shit. Um, let me look at my phone. I just posted one on Instagram the other day. It's so good. Uh, nice. And it's by Stephen Porges. Hmm. And he said, yeah, here it is. Connection is a biological imperative. Connection is a biological imperative. In other words, we're pack animals. We belong together. And it's food. Connection is food, guys. If you want to have a, a really vibrant life, nourish yourself with a great connection and learn how to do it.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, that, that's perfect because it ties into the uh, Harvard study that just came out, the 75-year Harvard study that showed that the most exactly. important key to our happiness as human beings is connection and is right. our, our close connection. So I, I love that, man. Totally. Well, listen, man, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Some really great wisdom bombs on there and love bombs on relationships. So thank you so much for joining me.
1: Yeah, you got it, Connor. Thanks for what you're doing. I'm psyched like to uh, serve it up to your people.
0: Awesome. Thank you. And for all the other listeners out there, don't forget to go to mantalks.com. Check out more blog posts, more podcasts, uh, and join me next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring individual. Lastly, don't forget to man it forward. If you love this episode, share it with somebody uh, and feel free to leave a review on iTunes. Subscribe. It goes a long way to getting it onto the phones and into the ears of other people. This is Connor Beaton signing off.